Welcome back to our podcast, Chronically Iconic Mistakes. I'm your host, Jocelyn. And your co-host, Raya. On October 25th of 1987, Kathy Bonderson was up late, waiting for her teenage son, Jamie, to return home. The hours dragged on, and her husband, Robert, went out to search for their son, but came back empty-handed. By 2 a.m., Kathy had to work and had lost her patience with her husband, which started a huge fight. You see, Kathy had to work, and she was late for her shift at the convalescent hospital. Don't know if I pronounced it right, but you guys know I don't care. You did perfectly. Did I? Oh my god, look at me. But I mean, she kind of felt like her son's actions were a little selfish, I'm sure. I mean, that's how teenagers are, right? Yeah, but like, so she was fighting with her husband because her son was out missing? Yeah, he was out like way later, I'm assuming way later than he was supposed to, and she was worried, and his search was like, I. it sounded like he kind of searched poorly, in her opinion. <laughs> <laughs> There's those men's again. <laughs> Saying that out loud sounds really funny. <laughs> I'd fight them too. Like, God, get your shit together, Robert. Dude, right? Like, why did you come back without him? Get out there, bitch. God, don't even... You're sitting outside until he comes home. This fucker. is on you. Figure it out. <laughs> and I mean, still, she was a mom, and it was quite literally her job to worry about her son. So, I mean, I can't really say I blame her. She's in a tough spot. I mean, she loves her son, and she's late for work, which... It's frustrating. Fuck that job, Kathy. Fuck that job. Get you your kid. And I mean, in the end, Kathy does choose her son over her job, and she sets out to look for him herself. My parents would probably be like, um, yeah, she'll turn up one day. Yeah, I feel like my parents would just be like, not, they wouldn't even notice. They, they literally wouldn't have even noticed. Jamie was actually with his girlfriend that night, hanging out with one another in their car. Again, as teenagers do. They were parked by a bridge, and at 2.30 in the morning, they watched as his mother actually drove right past them. Another vehicle was closely behind hers. Little did Jamie know, this would be the last time he would ever see his mother alive. Okay, that was a plot twist. Like, I thought this was about Jamie. Oh, yeah. No, man. It it does sound like it's about to be like, the kid is murdered in their car by a slasher. But turns out the mom actually Perishes. Oh, perishes. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that darkly. She perished like a fucking food. Like a fucking avocado. <laughs> Avocados perish too quickly. Like, let's talk about that shit. Man, them stupid engineered fruits and vegetables, I tell ya. It's illegal. I imagine he thinks about this encounter every day. What if he had flagged her down rather than hiding in an attempt for his mother to drive right past him? Maybe she would still be alive today, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and at the end of the day, Jamie did what any other teenager would do, and it's really not his fault. Like, how could have you known? And, like, if he is thinking like that, it really fucking sucks, because I probably would too, like... I know, yeah, and it's totally not his fault, like, either way. And, I mean, as we go through the story, it, like, really, really, really isn't his fault, but you'll see. Only one hour later, a report came in that there was a 1974 Ford Torino that had caught on fire somewhere along a gravel road just north of town. When firefighters arrived on the scene, they quickly got to work extinguishing the fire so that they could retrieve the body from 
from the passenger side of the vehicle. It was the body of Kathy Bonderson, who had just been searching for her son only hours before her dead body was found in some rather mysterious circumstances. It's almost, like, worse when they find a body, because, like, when people just go missing, I feel like there's always, like, a little sliver of hope. Maybe they're out there living their lives. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, at least on one hand, like, you have hope if you don't find a body, but on the other hand, like, if you can't find the body after so long, that hope is, like, so toxic. Yeah, that's true. You, like, can never get past it. Yeah, either way, it's horrible. After pulling out Kathy's lifeless body, Sheriff Ed immediately began investigating the horrific events that led to Kathy Bonderson's death. Surprisingly, Ed did not believe that foul play was what happened on that late October night in, in 1987. He figured Kathy was simply in a car accident, that something caused Kathy to swerve to the right, where she went over the side of the railroad tracks that stuck out more than the ones on the road. This caused her to go into the ditch, which I guess caused a fire that began at the front end of the car. His guess was that Kathy wasn't restrained, and the accident just kind of threw her into the passenger side of the vehicle. I mean, I get, like, where he's coming from because that kind of looks like an accident, but then again, like, that was elaborate. He should have wrote a book on that shit because, like, he had all of the details without even having the details. He's like, oh, something was in the road. She probably swerved. This guy is the fucking worst this entire case. Yeah, it's cool that you came up with some wild, perfect scenario that placed her perfectly in the passenger seat, but as we go, I I don't know, his shit doesn't make any sense, and he's just wrong. He's just plain wrong, and he doesn't care. And not gonna lie, like, if I was a detective, I would probably rule everything that somebody else did it, unless I have proof, and I know they probably don't teach you, like, in detective school that, you know, kind of how you're supposed to do it, Right. Yeah, it's definitely easier to work a case assuming that it wasn't foul play. And I believe that they initially always suspect that it wasn't foul play unless proven otherwise. But in my opinion, it should totally be the opposite. Right. But it's easier to work up the case. So y'all just lazy. It is. It is. And it's how they're trained too. And it's just like frustrating. But this guy, this guy was straight up just arrogant. Call him the president. This this guy's dead now. So (laughs) I don't know what you're going to tell him. Oh, well, just like about other ones. Now, there are a few reasons why Sheriff Ed's theory just really doesn't fucking make sense. And a patrolman by the name of William Bryam questioned the theory that Ed had come up with. William just could not shake the feeling that something very wrong happened that night. And he had some pretty great clues to back that theory up. To begin with, there weren't even any tire tracks that led to where the vehicle was found on fire, which, I mean, you'd think would exist if she truly had swerved off off the road, right? Mm-hmm. And there was also the fact that there was no structural damage that had been done to Kathy's car. Not to mention the car keys had been thrown onto the floor of the vehicle and they were actually completely undamaged despite the fact that the car actually fucking melted. Honestly, even if it, they don't want to rule it as like a homicide, they should still rule it as like at least a suicide because of the fact that there were no tire tracks. Yeah, I mean like his entire theory 
was just grabbed out of thin air. There was no evidence to back it up. I don't know. I feel like there should be like a double checker when it comes to detectives. There totally should. And like, luckily this case had a few people like eyeballing it since like, you know, you got the fire, you got like an actual police matter, that kind of stuff. So that's good. And the evidence that this was more than a crash just keeps stacking up, dude. Within 24 hours, the fire marshal Kerr inspected the vehicle along with William, and they discovered that the vehicle had actually sustained no structural damage whatsoever. Even more shocking, they determined that the fires weren't started in the typical way you would see naturally. They were able to tell that it wasn't a single fire that started in, like, the fuel line. There were several little fires that started all over the vehicle. By the end of this inspection, Kerr agreed with William that Kathy was a victim of foul play. It's so crazy like how this story could have turned out differently if there wasn't a fire. Like it might have still not been ruled a foul play. Yeah exactly. Like they're really lucky that somebody kind of caught the red flags and was like hey no something's fucking wrong asshole. We should fund the fire extinguisher guys. We definitely should. (laughs) Fire extinguisher guys. (laughs) How did you complicate a simple name? What are they called? Firemen. I like to take the long way. She took the long route the less traveled one. <laughs> oh man. It took three weeks, but at this point, William is really pushing for an investigation on this case. I mean, the evidence is screaming foul play, so I'm glad we had him on the job. He requests that Kathy's body is autopsied a second time. And when I say William had to push for this, I'm not kidding. Like, he seriously had to argue with Ed to get this fucking done. And it just makes my blood boil. Um, so who was William again? Oh, Patrolman. Thank you, yeah. So he, like, shouldn't even be doing this. Like, this isn't even his job, like. I hope he was, like, promoted to detective after this. I don't know if you can go from, like, Patrolman straight to detective, but I feel like he deserves it. What's, like, in between? I have no idea. Not Patrolman? (laughs) Not Patrolman? I don't know. I'm not a cop. (laughs) I don't know. There's too many steps. There totally are. It's like, I feel like being a detective, you shouldn't even have to be a cop at first, to be honest. Like, you're solving crime. I don't know. I I get it's useful. When I was younger, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. And then, like, I googled that you had to be a police person first and take, like, the exams. I'm like, I'm too fat for that shit. I'm not gonna go run around. Yeah, fuck that. But, I mean, I'm glad that William pushed for another autopsy. Now, I couldn't find what the first autopsy said, but I think it's safe to say that they weren't necessarily looking for foul play during the first go at it. I mean, considering the officer was dead set on this being some mysterious accident, what I can tell you is that if William hadn't pushed for another autopsy, we would have never known that Kathy had actually died prior to the fires that were started on the car. We would have never known that her clothing had traces of gasoline along with the vehicle's carpet. What I can't really wrap my head around, and you're gonna tell me later, is like how the son saw her just out and about, and then she like just died. But she had to like do whatever, get dead, and then like they had to get dead. They had to move her body. Like I just, that's a lot of steps. That took all night. And and it's totally gonna make sense at the end. I promise. Because like when you're first looking at this case, it's like what the fuck is going on? But honestly, all of the answers were literally right in front of them, and it's even sadder that this wasn't solved for about 19 years. 19 fucking years? You gotta be shitting me right now. Yep. Yeah, the detective actually had to pass away and then it was reopened like years later. Eventually, a gas can was even found 
down near the scene of what we now know is a crime. Still, the detective's ego got the best of him and he adamantly refused to change his opinion on what had happened on that cold October night. The case went bone-chillingly cold until one day in November of 2005 when the case was reopened and a third autopsy was performed on Kathy. See, this is pissing me off because like his ego was so big that he couldn't just be like, hey, um, yeah, I was wrong. Like he had literal like fireman guys telling him. Yeah, literal fireman guys. I just don't understand. Like this is why men need therapy as well as women. I'm just going to say it right now. I mean like, yeah, everybody in the whole world needs therapy. Like literally stop murdering people. Just because you're a man. Doesn't mean you don't have big feelings. Right? Well, and I I think the biggest part is just, like, the psychology of men. Despite being the only people that have been studied, because women haven't been, they still, like, have, like, these strange motives for murder. And it's always intrigued me. It's always something like, oh, I'm going bankrupt and I'm going to save the family by murdering them instead. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, and it's just, like, I read a thing and it really, like, opened my eyes about how that more men murder. Oh, yeah. It's it's almost all men for, like... Especially with guns. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. I don't know. This country lives off of, like, men thriving, and it's annoying. Yeah, it's bad. This time, there was no ignoring the results of the autopsy. Kathy had injuries to her neck that just did not match up with a car accident. Why it took 18 years to make that discovery, I will never understand. But I have learned that there are two things that are guaranteed when you live in North Dakota. Healthcare and detectives will always fail you. And Kathy Bonderson's case was no exception. Fuck yeah, Jacqueline's going for everybody's throat right now, including her own, because her throat's paralyzed. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, but like, I can't even understand how they were able to like perform an autopsy like 15 years later. I know, that really surprises me. And it's something that like is really important to know. If your family dies in a mysterious circumstance, do not cremate them because they can do an autopsy like fucking 18 years later and get shit off of it. If somebody stabbed, I feel like you would only know if it went through, like, the bones, but... Yeah, I'm interested to know um, how long you can tell bruising, you know, is is bruising still there long after death? Like, can you still tell? How does that work? I really don't know. Forensics people, hit us up. Or you can go to college for it and let us know. You want me to go to college to learn forensics now? Just to get that answer. You know, I might do cybersecurity forensics, but if I did normal forensics, I'd have to completely restart my associates just about. Anyways, back into the case. Now, this case is interesting because the answers were really within reach for the entire 19 years that the so-called detectives were working on it. And I mean, let's be honest, there are only three people who saw Kathy alive that night. Her husband, son, and his girlfriend. Who's the only person in that scenario that did not have a witness to his actions after Kathy left the home that night? The husband. Ding, ding, ding. What have we learned in the last two years of making this podcast? I don't know if it's been a full two years, but whatever. Always assume it was the husband 
husband. I'm sorry, guys. We just talked about it. The statistics are just fucking there. And we have to clear the spouse before moving on. And this is where the case really dropped the ball. God, could you imagine being the fucking husband and just, like, thinking you got away with it for fucking almost 20 years? Like, not to do a shout-out to serial killers, but, like, North Dakota's really bad at catching them, so... If you want to be a serial killer, <laughs> go to North Dakota, I guess. Don't tell them our secrets, though, because I would like to live. Yeah, we're just kidding. We don't condone No, North don't, Dakota. don't do that. We don't do <laughs> Yeah, that's accurate, too. And wouldn't you know it, in February of 2006, the husband was located out of state. He had moved to Thermopolis, Wyoming, and I have to say, not far enough to get away with murder, bud. I say it every fucking episode. Like, if you're gonna try and get away with murder, fucking commit. Move out of the country, you fucking nubs. But this isn't a how to get away with murder podcast. It's a you fucking idiot, you got caught with murder podcast. And our goal of this podcast is to help catch the murderers and, uh, let's be honest, make fun of how stupid they are. Yeah, that's literally our goal. Like, I tell everyone listens like we just talk shit about serial killers also like did they (laughs) did he move with his son too or was he just like fucking see ya (laughs) i want to assume he moved with his son but i really don't know how old he was or anything so anyways the police like go confront this gaping asshole of a human kathy's husband and it's been a minute since we've spoken about him but his name is robert in case your adhd asses forgot this dude really makes like the most suspicious fucking getaway. Immediately after speaking to them, he just like vanishes, leaving behind all of his personal cards. Like, where are you going without your debit card, my dude? Well, I mean, technically, that's kind of smart if you have like money. Yeah, I mean, true, like no paper trail, you know, like at all. Because they can track that bank statement, man. And they will if they're good. Oh yeah, they will. But like, we know they're not. Turns out he did truly commit to getting away with murder and he totally did go where you do not need money. In the ultimate act of admitting you're guilty as hell, Robert fled to a very remote cabin in Montana where he took his own life rather than deal with the consequences of his own actions. Fucking goddammit. Yeah, yeah. He's not suspicious at all. While Robert's timing of death wasn't necessarily an admission of guilt to detectives, they did go on to prove that he did kill his wife in cold blood. Apparently, Robert had actually taken out a $50,000 life insurance policy to months prior to Kathy's death. Just months before that, he began dating a new woman. The worst part? Kathy's son and her girlfriend had actually reported that Robert was the one driving the vehicle that late cold night in October of 1987. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, even the girlfriend like journaled about it forever ago and was like, you know, obviously processing the fucking trauma of her boyfriend living with her, his like murderous dad. Well, like, did they tell the police? I'm pretty sure they did. I could not find confirmation of that. However, like, most of the articles make it sound like he definitely was clear about it. Uh, That fucking sucks. And, like, this is the worst ending, too, to, like, have him just kill himself. Seriously, this guy lived 19 extra years of his life getting away with murder And, like, every single answer was right in front of this fucking detective. He just was lazy. Like, he was lazy. There's no other... There's no other excuse for that. That's fucked up. Like, if you literally just opened your eyes a little bit and did a little bit of digging, 
It would have been so easy, like... Literally. And I'm not gonna, like, last name drop him just because I don't know if his family is still alive and maybe, hopefully, this was the only case he ever messed up. But yeah, it's infuriating. They should have looked at all of his cases from his entire career after that, to be honest, though. I feel like they really should. I mean, North Dakota doesn't have many cases, but the ones we do are mostly unsolved, so surprise. We do have a lot of missing persons cases for how small of a population we have, though, and that really freaks me out. Yeah. Detectives determined that Robert had murdered his wife in cold blood during their argument that night. Afterward, Robert put her dead body into the car to drive her to a location to make it look like an accident. The case has since been closed. No thanks to the original Detective Ed. Literally at all. But I mean, I suppose I shouldn't talk ill of the dead because this dude did pass away as we talked about previously. Had he only been willing to listen, Kathy Bonderson could have been put to rest far sooner and her husband may have seen time in prison like he so deserved. I can't help but think about the son who had to live with his father, knowing he had driven the car that night his mother had died in. That's crazy. That was a plot twist. Yeah, it really was. This case is like a a really good example of how bad detectives are in this I hope it's changed, you know? Yep, so now we just have to work on the healthcare. Yeah, we really need that, for the love of God. I don't know how to change it, but... Moral of the story, don't murder your wife for life insurance money. Literally just don't murder anybody for life insurance, but yeah. I like that message, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, and like... Also, don't forget that, like, you can take money out of your life insurance policy before you die. So you don't have to even fucking murder anybody. Wait, what? Yeah, you you didn't know that? Like, no, life insurance. No. Yeah, and I don't know if it's every life insurance. I, I don't know if it's special or whatever, but you can withdraw from a life insurance policy before you die. I had no idea that was a thing. That's good to know, dude. I didn't even know either. I don't even know how it works, but I did research it and it is a thing. Yeah, so, you know, you don't even have to murder people anymore, guys. Come on. Yeah, come on. Get it together. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye.